Welcome to The Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today we begin a new book. We're going to be looking at the book of Ecclesiastes, which is written by Solomon. Now, Solomon is the third king over God's people. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, the people rebel against God and demand that he give them a king so it can be just like all their neighbors around them. God gives in and allows them to have their request of their sinful heart, and so he gives them Saul. Saul is eventually replaced for his unfaithfulness by David. David has a son, well, he has more than one, but his son Solomon is the one who reigns um, as his successor upon his death. So Solomon is the third Israelite king. Many people remember him for being the one who chose wisdom. When God came to him and said, basically ask for anything that you want and I'll give it to you, Solomon did not ask for something for himself, but instead asked for wisdom so that he could govern God's people justly. That was a great moment. That um, was well done by Solomon, a, a very faithful and humble request and a good thing. Now, Solomon's reign, we would probably say, uh, dates to 970 B.C. through 931 B.C., a Jewish tradition has held that Solomon wrote this particular book near the end of his life, um, whether that's 931 or within the couple of years around it. The book is going to be filled with frustration and disappointment, uh, conversations around fear and worthlessness. So I want to share with you a couple of things that, that get at the idea of the purpose. Martin Luther writing about the book of Ecclesiastes would say, the entire book tends to show that the counsels, plans, and undertakings of men are all in vain and fruitless, and that they always have a different outcome from that which we will and purpose. Thus, Solomon would teach us to wait in confident trust and to let God alone do everything, above and against and without our knowledge and counsel. And the Lutheran Study Bible, as the purpose of the book, suggests that it is these, really this theme, the idea of life without God is empty. The only rescue from emptiness comes from God as, we, as he brings us to fear, love, and trust in him and his word above all things. So there's our purpose that we'll be seeing as we continue throughout the book over the course of about a couple weeks. We're going to start with chapter 1 today. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down, and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. 
and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a striving after the wind, for in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. This is the word of the Lord. really is a depressing text today. This is not a an uplifting section. Uh, you need the whole letter in its context to get the, the goods out of it, but we'll keep talking through it uh, as the week progresses. We start with verse 1, the words of the preacher. Now, the ESV text capitalizes that word preacher as a proper noun, and with the other titles that are there, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, who do these things normally talk about? When, he, when we talk about God's word and we're talking about the son of David or the king of Jerusalem, our mind goes where? Often it's Jesus. I wish we could strike the capitalization of preacher here and just make a lowercase. This one does not refer to Jesus. It is a reference to Solomon. I'm not suggesting the text did that. They're just taking it as a title um, and capitalized it because it's a title. So we don't need a capitalized preacher per se, but just an idea here. We are talking about Solomon um, and the words that he speaks. Vanity, vainness is going to be a, a key concept in this letter. Uh, the idea of worthless or futile ways of, of mankind. We get a lot of creation here. We've got the generations, we've got toiling, we've got the sun, the wind, the, the streams, the seas. All of these things go, and they simply do what they do. And they return to where they were, and they start over again. Um, that's kind of the theme happening here. One of the questions for our children, what happens to all your stuff when you die? It's going to be one of the themes Solomon will pick up on later in the book. What happens even to your reputation, not just your stuff? Um, can you take it with you? Good conversation to have. In verse 8, the eye is not satisfied, the ear not filled. We lack contentment. That's a, a solid theme of Scripture is that we should be content with what the Lord gives to us. So that could be a good conversation to have as a family together. In what ways do you see a lack of contentment? What might it look like to repent of that and to be content in what God has given you? There's nothing new under the sun in verse 9. is probably some of the most famous, uh, well-known words of this book. Verse 11, Solomon laments the 
lack of history, a lack of a knowledge of history in the world. Uh, we see that around us today as well. People seem to just reject history and want whatever knowledge they can find for themselves. And so often it's not true. It's not even rooted in a real historical event. So we, we can see what he's saying there. Verse 14, uh, this idea that he has seen everything and he calls everything vanity. This is coming, as we just talked about contentment, this is coming from maybe one of the wealthiest men in history. Solomon's way up there at the top of that list. Uh, Job, too, for that matter. A couple of guys in the Old Testament books of wisdom. Even in all his wealth, he can look around and say, yeah, this is, this is meaningless, which is going to be another key word in the book. We haven't run into it quite as much yet as we will. He even refers in verse 16 to his great experience. So not just wealth and wisdom, but now also experience as he's lived so much. He's seen so many things. And again, it all comes back to vanity. It's worthless. So our question to ask to our children, kind of to turn a corner on this text, uh, who or what gives your life meaning? Now, we may come up with worldly answers for that, and if we do, uh, we return to Solomon's point here in the book of Ecclesiastes, and that is those things are meaningless, they're worthless. In the end, they're gone. They're but dust. The true answer to it all is Jesus, and that is a theme that we'll be bringing out as we continue to unpack the book. My last comment today is going to be on verse 18. He who increases knowledge increases sorrow. That holds true from the Garden of Eden. As we think about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Adam and Eve knew good. They didn't know evil. And then the devil tempted them to get them to eat that fruit, or whatever it was, whatever kind of fruit it was, we don't know. But to eat that, and when they did, they would be like God, knowing both good and evil. All they really gained was the knowledge of evil. And as Solomon says, it increased sorrow, which is certainly true as sin and death entered and have plagued the world ever since. Tomorrow, uh, we will continue with chapter two.